Good morning. This is the day of the Riding Carnival. The last 23 or so hours we've been doing the reading marathon. It will conclude at the conclusion of chapel. And the Riding Carnival will begin. When you leave here, you'll find all manner of games and activities, as well as food available for you. There's also a special bit that's been added this year. It was also around last year. You can participate in an escape room experience. So be looking for that also. Today, our study in The Princess Bride takes us to the book more than it did yesterday, S. Morgan Stern's classic tale of true love and high adventure. That's the book written by William Goldman. He was a man who helped bring many movies to the screen, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, one of them. But this movie, The Princess Bride, came from his novel, The Princess Bride. It was made, though, into this film by Rob Reiner. Today, our theme is storytelling or getting it right. Because when you look at the book and you think about the movie, you realize a lot of it's different. In fact, some of the most fundamental themes are different in the movie compared with the book. It's interesting that in the book, Goldman even explains that when he was trying to get the screenplay produced into a film, he shared it with the influential Hollywood persona, Carl Reiner. Carl Reiner's son is Rob Reiner, the one who directed the film. And a curious parallel to our story, you recall that the book was read by a father to a son, and from that young man who grew up into a man to his son after him. And it's curious that as he tells how this book became a movie, he says it happened because Carl Reiner shared the screenplay with Rob Reiner, and Rob Reiner wanted to make the movie. So let's look a little bit about what is in this book and what is different. Because if you think about it, when Goldman says, I want to tell you about Morgan Stern's story, But I'm going to do you a favor. Morgan Stern had this huge, long book. I'm going to abridge it for you. I'm going to cut some stuff out. I'm going to cut the things out that aren't really, you know, the best parts. And so I'm going to give you the best parts version of Morgan Stern's story. That's what he says he's doing in the novel. He says Morgan Stern wasn't writing any children's book. He was writing a kind of satiric history of his country and the decline of the monarchy in Western civilization. But my father only read me the action stuff, the good parts. He never bothered with the serious side at all. Anyway, here's the good parts version. As Morgan Stern wrote it, my father read it to me and now I give it to you. What you do with it will be of more than passing interest to us all. Well, what Rob Reiner did with it is make the movie that we now know. So what about this tale of true love and high adventure? Goldman tells us, take the title words, true love and high adventure. I believed in that once. I thought my life was going to follow that path. Prayed that it would. Obviously, it didn't. Our narrator is a little bitter. But I don't think there's high adventure left anymore. Nobody takes out a sword and cries, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father, prepared to die. No one does this. True love, you can forget about it too. I don't know if love, I love anything, truly, anymore, beyond the porterhouse at Peter Luger's and the cheese enchilada at El Perro's. Sorry about that, Helen. Helen is our narrator's estranged wife. He doesn't have true love. Our narrator, the teller of this tale of true love and high adventure, doesn't really believe in love anymore and doesn't really believe in high adventure anymore. That's the perspective his satirical novel comes from. So Morgan Stern gave it to Goldman. Goldman took it and produced this novel. Rob Reiner took it and gave us the film version. And in the film, what we get is Grandpa. And Grandpa serves the role of William Goldman and Rob Reiner giving his grandson the good parts version. 
You might remember the moment when she's about to be eaten by the eels. He stops reading and he says, she doesn't get eaten by the eels at this time. What? The eel doesn't get her. I'm explaining to you because you look nervous. He says, I'm not nervous, just concerned. And let's go with the blanket he'd been clutching. Right? He was getting into the story. And in this moment, the grandpa stops, gives him that heads up, and then does this. In the book version, it's sharks. She does not get eaten by the sharks at this time, my father said. I looked at him, what? You look like you were getting too involved and bothered, so I thought I'd let you relax. And so, in that moment, the grandfather interrupts. There's another interruption. The grandpa is reading. And as he reads, he talks about the wave of love that swept over them, and they start kissing. And he goes, ah, they're kissing again. Do we have to hear the kissing? Someday you might not mind so much. But notice what he does. The grandson says, skip to the fire swamp. That sounded good. Ah, oh, you're sick. I'll humor you. So now, where were we? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Wesley and Buttercup raced along the ravine floor. So in the movie, we have no idea how many pages he skipped or what we lost. But in the film, the grandpa sort of shows us he's skipping some stuff to give the kid just the good parts. Back to the novel, though, in that part in the story on the ravine floor, there was an action scene of a different sort. However, it should be noted, in fairness to all, that number one, he did weep. Number two, her eyes did not remain precisely dry. Number three, there was more than one embrace. And four, both parties admitted that without any qualification whatsoever, they were more than a little glad to see each other. Besides, five, within a quarter of an hour, they were arguing. So again, in the novel version, he's much more bitter about love, and Buttercup and Wesley don't really always get along. And even along the way, Buttercup interrupts him and says, quit talking about my beauty, enough about my beauty. Everyone always talks about how beautiful I am. I've got a mind, Wesley. Talk about that. So this is how they don't get along. In the story, Wesley is too obsessed with how beautiful Buttercup is. But in the film, he just loves her, they embrace, and they race along the ravine floor. Over and over, our storyteller in the novel keeps wanting to poke at the idea that they were perfectly happy ever after. So what about this other bit? In the parts of the movie where it seems like things are going terribly awry, we realize it's a big dream sequence. Well, that's also in the novel. There's a fake out, but there's also the truth. So at one point in the story, Grandpa says, the king died that very night. And then before the following dawn, Buttercup and Humperdinck were married. And this grandson can't handle it. Hold it, hold it, hold it, Grandpa. You, you read that wrong. She doesn't marry Humperdinck. She marries Wesley. I'm just sure of it. After all Wesley did for her, if she didn't marry him, it just wouldn't be fair. He knows this can't be how the story goes. Grandpa gives a lesson. Who says life is fair? Where is that written? Life is not always fair. I'm telling you, you're messing up the story. Get it right. Now, in this moment, the grandson is, is clicking, resonating, connecting to something that we all sort of feel. How did you feel the first time you saw Infinity War? How did you feel the first time you saw La La Land or 500 Days of Summer? You're watching along, you're going along, all of a sudden, wait a minute, that's not how the story's supposed to go. I don't like this part. That's what the son says. This isn't how good stories go. And the grandpa sort of plays along with this and says, who says life is fair? He gets that from the novel. We'll come back to that in just a second. But as it continues, the story says, it was 10 days till the wedding, Keen still lived, but Buttercup's nightmares were getting steadily worse. And so we realize as we're watching the film, oh, good, that was just a bad dream sequence. It didn't really happen. And in the book, he stops and talks for a while. 
Interruption. Hey, how about giving old Morgan Stern credit for a major league fake out there? I mean, didn't you think for a while, at least, that they were really married? I did. It's one of my biggest memories, my father reading. I had pneumonia, remember? But I was a little better now and madly caught up in a book. And the one thing you know when you're 10 is that no matter what, there's going to be a happy ending. They can sweat all they want to scare you, the authors, but in the back of it, you know, just have no other conclusion that in the long run, justice is going to win out. I spent that whole night thinking Buttercup married Humperdinck. It rocked me. How can I explain it? But the world didn't work that way. Good got attracted to good. Evil, you flushed down the John, and that was that. But their marriage, I couldn't make it jive. Something was wrong. I couldn't lose it. Suddenly, there was this discontent gnawing away until it had a place big enough to settle in, and then it curled up and stayed there. And it's still inside me, lurking as I write this now. And so our narrator in the novel is telling us, I'm not so sure about this true love stuff, and I'm not sure about happy endings and stuff, and I don't know how life is supposed to go sometimes. It just doesn't seem fair. So what is the point of the story? Is it about true love being the best, or is it about how life isn't fair? At one point in the novel, Goldman shares that an adult took him aside one time after he had a disappointing event, and she said, you know what? Get over it, Bill. Life's not fair. Deal with it. Life isn't fair. We tell our children that it is, but it's a terrible thing to do. It's not only a lie, it's a cruel lie. Life is not fair, never has been, never going to be. But it meant so much to me to have it said and out and free and flying. And that was the discontent I endured that night my father stopped reading. I realized right then, and that's what this book is about. All those Columbia experts can spill all they want about delicious satire and true love. They're crazy. This book says life isn't fair. I'm telling you, one and all, you better believe it. Look, grown-ups, you can skip this paragraph. I'm not about to tell you this book has a tragic ending. I already said in the first line how it's my favorite of all time in the world. But there's a lot of bad stuff coming up. There's torture you've already been prepared for, but there's worse. There's death coming up, and you better understand this. Some of the wrong people die. Be ready for it. This isn't Curious George Uses the Potty. The wrong people die, some of them, and the reason is this. Life is not fair. Forget all the garbage that your parents put out. Remember Morgan Stern, and you'll be a lot happier. So that's an aside from the story that just our narrator, supposedly Goldman, wants us to believe. Quit getting all these fantastical ideas and idealism in your head. Life isn't fair. Deal with it. You'll be happier in the long run if you just start with that. But when Reiner took this story, he wanted to give us the good parts version of all that. And what did he do with it? Did he give us a happily ever after? At the end of the book version, it says, and they lived happily ever, ever after, my father said. Oh, wow, I said. He looked at me, what, you're not pleased? No, no, it's just, it came so quick, the ending. It surprised me. I thought it'd be a little more. So all I mean, was the pirate ship waiting, or was that just a rumor, like it said? Well, complain to Morgenstern. They lived happily ever after. That's how it ends. Truth was, my father was fibbing. I spent my whole life thinking that it ended that way, up until I did this abridgment. And then I glanced at the last page. In the real manuscript, he says, this is how Morgenstern ends it. From behind them, suddenly, closer than they had imagined, they could hear the roar of Humperdinck. Stop them. Cut them off. They were admittedly startled, but there was no reason to worry. They were on the fastest horses in the kingdom, and the lead was already theirs. However, this was before Inigo's wound reopened and Wesley relapsed again and Fezzik took the wrong turn and Buttercup's horse threw a shoe and the night behind them was filled with the crescendoing sound of pursuit. That's Morgan Stern's ending. 
So that's what the book version by Goldman tells us, that this imagined source, Morgenstern, had a much more harsh ending. And he's doing us a favor by showing us how life's not fair, showing us how that happy ending really isn't true, that this is how it ended. Well, I'm an abridger, he says, so I'm entitled to a few ideas of my own. Did they make it? Was the pirate ship there? You can answer it for yourself. But for me, I say, yes, it was. And yes, they got away. And they got their strength back. And they had lots of adventures and more than their share of laughs. But that doesn't mean I think they had a happy ending either. Because in my opinion, anyway, remember one already jaded by unhappy love, they squabbled a lot. And Buttercup lost her looks eventually. And one day, Fezzik lost a fight. And some hotshot kid whipped Inigo with a sword. And Wesley was never able to really sleep sound because Humperdinck was maybe still on the trail. That's our narrator. That's Goldman. I'm not trying to make this a downer, understand? I mean, I really do think that love is the best thing in the world, except for cough drops. But I also have to say that for the up to time, life isn't fair. It's just fairer than death, that's all. So that's how our storyteller ends it. But what about our film? It seems to be about something else than that, or something more than that. It's about growing up. It's about happy endings. It's about true love. And at the end, what happens? He starts describing, the grandpa does this marvelous kiss, and grandpa says, ah, it's kissing again. You don't want to hear that. Well, uh, I don't mind so much, says the grandson. And that's when he starts the line, since the invention of the kiss, there have only been so many that are so pure, so sincere. This one left them all behind. And at that part in the story, the kid has changed. Remember, he already changed from saying, can he just come back another day, to will you come back tomorrow and read it again? And he's also changing from a ah, kissing book to I don't mind so much. This story is changing him. It's helping him realize what life really is about and what he ought to care about. And that's why he's able to ask for it again tomorrow. That's why the grandpa is able to say once more, I love you. So what is this all about? Goldman, the author, supposedly abridged this original novel. Reiner abridges Goldman's long novel with a lot of cynicism and negativity and pessimism about love and about life. They give us the good parts version. The film is the good parts version of the novel. These chapels, I guess, are the good parts version of the film and the novel. But there is much more to the film's retelling than just life's not fair. There's much more to it. True love, the miracle of happily ever after, that's in the story of the film. And the legacy of those kinds of stories is at stake. What are you going to do with it? Remember he said, what you do with it will be more of passing interest to us all. We want to know what you're going to do with this story. The grandson learns to love it. The grandfather lives to tell it. He can't wait to tell it. These are the stories that change lives. And they're a gift to the people we love. Look back at the early scenes of the film. What do we see? He's opening a present. I brought you a special present. Open it up. What is it? Open it up. A book. He seems alarmed, disappointed, annoyed even. A book. And that's when he starts reading to him. And notice what time of year it is. It's Christmas. That's Santa. It's the time for gift giving. A time to remember the story we talked about yesterday. The greatest story ever told. That there is hope in a world of evil. That there is an opportunity for those who've been captured by the evil prince to be saved by the man who isn't going to stay dead. Death cannot stop true love. All it can do is delay it for a while. That's the story of the Princess Bride, the film, which triumphs, I think, ultimately, over the pessimistic message of the novel. This is the good parts version of it all. 
And I hope you enjoy the good parts of this day that waits for you now on the Mall. You're dismissed.